let me encourage you to keep Proverbs 4 open in front of you if you can, and let me pray as we turn to God's Word. Father, we do pray that you would help us now to trust in you with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we get to Proverbs, I want to tell you about my Tuesday last week. Because on Tuesday last week, we had the worst family walk in living memory. And let me just say, with two children under five, there is some stiff competition for that particular title. Walks rarely go smoothly in our family. But this particular walking disaster began with high hopes. Naturally, under lockdown conditions, it would be our only time out of the house to exercise that day. We were really looking forward to it. And best of all, as a kind of one-off special, unlike our normal pattern of me taking the children out to give my wife Jessie a break, we decided on this Tuesday as a treat to, to go out all together as a four, a rare chance to walk and talk together in the sun. Things started with a struggle to get out the door, that always happens, and a negotiation with Grace, our daughter, about what she'd wear, that also always happens. Mum and Dad's view was trousers, hers was shorts. We explained trousers would be the wise choice. She was insistent, she refused to budge, and we just wanted to get out there, so we gave in, she won. But despite our parental wisdom being completely ignored, we still had high hopes. We drove a short distance to a secluded golf course and we stepped out the car. Been looking forward to it all day. In fact, all month as a four. And it was about 10 seconds into the walk when Grace decided to show us a, a special alternative path through the woods. And I reckon we'd got seven meters from the car when she tripped. Hit a tree root, face planted on the ground, grazed the skin off her knee. It started to bleed. It wasn't actually a big injury, at least from our perspective, but Grace's world absolutely fell apart. She just let rip. She screamed and screamed and screamed. We attempted to comfort her, to continue the walk, carrying her, distracting her, bribing her with everything we could. I even tried to explain to her four-year-old mind the kind of uh, ramifications under a, a one-time-out-a-day policy of this unfolding disaster. But after 10 minutes of oral and emotional agony, we, we got back in the car. We went home. Why am I telling you that? Not just because I'm still processing the disappointment. Um, let's just be serious for a moment. There are a lot more serious problems than just missing out on a family walk at the moment. Families are dealing with real tragedies, serious grief in this pandemic including in this church family. I know in the grand scheme of things, that, that wasn't a big disaster at all. But the reason I'm telling you about it is because when we looked back on it, with hindsight, on how things fell apart, we, we were struck by how avoidable the whole thing was. How completely avoidable the disaster of that day was. If only grace had not chosen to head down the high-risk, root-strewn forest path. If only she'd been watching her feet as she did so, or the most galling thought of all for us, if only she'd been wearing trousers. You see, the seeds of Tuesday's disaster are actually sown in the refusal to listen 
to our words before she left. If only she'd listened to the legwear lecture, the, the parental wisdom. The knee wouldn't be bleeding, the day wouldn't be ruined, the walking wouldn't end with tears. If only she'd listened. Proverbs is a book that gives us words of wisdom for the walk of life. If only we'll listen. We've been seeing on these Sunday nights that this book helps us navigate through life in all its complexities. It's a book written to guide our steps, to help us watch our steps, to help us avoid the the kind of tempting, root-strewn shortcuts that could well lead to a face-planting disaster, both in this life and, as we saw this morning, even into eternity The first seven chapters, actually, are framed as a parent giving advice to a child. If you have got a Bible there, just look at how each chapter starts from chapter 2 on. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction and be attentive. Chapter 5, verse 1. My son... Be attentive to my wisdom. Do you hear the repeats? We're listening into a whole set of kind of father-son briefing sessions. It's, it's parental wisdom being passed down. And did you hear the repeated refrain to actually listen? Listen up. Don't ignore these words of wisdom. Don't insist that you know better, son. Which is still very contemporary, isn't it? We don't really like someone else telling us what to do or what to think, especially not the Bible. We like being masters of our own destiny, plowers of our own furrow. We, We like working out our own set of beliefs and morals and choices and paths through life, unencumbered by someone else's views. But this father says, listen up, son, you may think you don't need this. You may think you know better or want to work it out your way. But listen up. You really need these words to navigate life without disaster. It's the equivalent of, wear some trousers, Grace. Your knees will thank me. This is the way to walk. And of course, what's at stake with the Bible's wisdom is not just some kind of sunny midweek stroll on a golf course. It's walking through life and death itself. This wisdom literature in the Bible is it's helping us plot a course through all of this world's ups and downs and into eternity. As we heard from Jesus this morning, the stakes could not be higher. One of the striking things about this COVID-19 crisis in the UK is that this country that was so divided and so sceptical of experts telling us what to do, whether from Brussels or Westminster or the BBC, suddenly now we're united in asking for guidance. Just tell us what's next, what next step to take. Why? Because we realize we're in danger. We recognize the danger our loved ones are in, and ourselves. And so we don't lean on our own limited understanding. We look to those who actually know what they're talking about. Which is exactly what Proverbs has been telling us to do for thousands of years. 
not just to navigate the, the terrifying waves of a pandemic, but to navigate all of life's peaks and troughs. We need help to navigate life's risks. Choices lie always before us. There's, there's paths to life and joy, paths to death and disaster. We make these choices which together form a bearing and one day will be a destination. As Jesus puts it, eternal life or eternal judgment. And if we don't want to look back at the end of our lives with regret at the turns we took, we desperately need wisdom to walk. Wisdom beyond ourselves, wisdom from above. And so as we heard last week, chapter 3, verse 5, do not lean on your own understanding. Or verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And the first nine verses of our passage today, of chapter 4, pick up this message. Our first point of two is this. Listen up. Whatever else you get in life, get wisdom. That central point is there in, in chapter 4, verse 5, and it comes again in verse 7. Verse 5 of chapter 4, get wisdom, get insights. Or verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight, prize her highly. This is our first point. Whatever else you get in life, get wisdom. But in some ways, that might feel a bit redundant. I mean, here in chapter 4, this dad figure, he's brought in the big guns. He's actually citing granddad now, verse 3. He's brought him in to back up his own voice. He's now kind of passing on wisdom that he himself had to learn. He had to learn to listen to his own dad as a younger man. But it might seem like a slightly anticlimactic message. Just look at how verse 7 puts it with me. So here, here come granddad's kind of key words. This is the, the secret formula, the, the kind of family recipe. The beginning of wisdom is, wait for it, get wisdom. Oh, okay. Thanks, Gramps. It could feel a, a bit redundant especially as we kind of heard that point in chapter 3. I mean, just look at chapter 3, verse 13, for example. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Haven't we already been told this? Oh, yes, we have. The point's being repeated and repeated. Presumably because we find it so hard to really take this on board. We're so ingrained to assume that wisdom is something I already have something I'd, or I don't really need, rather than something I don't have and I do need, something outside myself. We're so naturally tempted to lean on our own understanding. We just default to being wise in our own eyes, perhaps especially when we're young. But both Grandpa and Dad say, whatever you get in life, get wisdom. There's really nothing more valuable than wisdom. Why is that? Well, because wisdom helps you to navigate everything else in life. As verses 4 to 9, wisdom is a guard for life. She'll have your back. She'll steer you right. She'll lead you to the good life, ultimately on into eternity. She will, to use a Scottish phrase that I've come to love, she will keep you right. She'll keep you on the path, the path to life. Just look at verse 6. 
Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. Look at verse 8. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She'll honor you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a graceful garland, bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now, of course, that's not saying everyone who follows the Bible's wisdom automatically gets a kind of easy, prosperous life in this world. As we thought last week, Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, did not wear gold watches on a private jet. It's not some mechanical promise of automatic prosperity in this world, but it is a directional promise that wisdom will guide us on the way through life and ultimately to eternal safety and life, to eternal beauty, exaltation, honor, the good life. So that's the big command, get wisdom. Whatever else you're chasing in life, love, wealth, purpose, a legacy, safety, security right now, health, happiness, material stuff, great experiences, whatever else you try and get, get wisdom. Because she will guard your life, navigate the way to eternity. How do you get this wisdom exactly? In verse 4, Grandpa speaks about holding fast my words, keep my commandments and live. So is the passage just saying, look, find the nearest parent or grandparent, note down everything they say, and that will keep you right? Well, no. I mean, don't get me wrong, parents and grandparents have a lot of wisdom. And actually, in in our kind of Western cultures, us who are younger would would do well to respect and honour and listen to our parents and older relatives a lot more than we actually do. The older I get, the more I realize that. But of course, if you ask lots of different parents and grandparents, they would give really different advice, recommend different paths, especially whether they know Jesus or not, whether you follow him or not. So it can't be just as simple as, if you want wisdom, find a granddad. No, to get our heads around what's going on, it's helpful to realize which dad and granddad we're talking about here in Proverbs. You see, chapter 1, verse 1, introduced this book as the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. It's not to say Solomon wrote every proverb in the book, that becomes clear. But here, in the early chapters, the picture is of Solomon passing on words of wisdom to his son. So where did Solomon get his wisdom from? Where can we get it? Well, of course, Solomon got some of his wisdom from his dad, King David. Actually, Deuteronomy 6 encourages all of God's people to pass on God's words to the next generation. And it seems that King David did that. He taught his son the scriptures. And just as a passing aside, if you are a parent or a grandparent, this is a great ambition to have. I don't know what you hope for, for the little ones you care about. But them getting God's wisdom should be right at the top of the list, even above the health, the grades, the languages, the uni place, the house, the spouse, the job. Above it all, we should pray that they might get wisdom and play our part in that. So parents, grandparents, they can pass on this wisdom, but where did they get it from in the first place? Where did David get his wisdom? Where did Solomon get his wisdom Well, remember, chapter 3, verse 5 to 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is something we get from God. 
That's why Solomon prayed to God to give him wisdom. That's why James in the New Testament encourages Christians to ask God for the wisdom we lack. So pray for it. But even then, where, where will you find it? Well, the scriptures. This book of Proverbs, first and foremost, it's a collated treasure trove of wisdom. Chapter 4 is kind of motivating us to, to read on into the book. In fact, if you are one of, the, one of the people who is at a kind of complete loose end, if you've been furloughed or have more disposable time on your hands than you know what to do with, if you're struggling to find a rhythm in life at the moment, what a great thing to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. Wisdom from God to chew over, think over, pray through. That'd be a great ambition for lockdown, wouldn't it? As, as Joe Wicks encourages us to get fit, King Solomon and King David together encourage us to get wisdom. What about if you're one of the people in the church family who are just crazy busy, just struggling to, to keep your head above water? Well, why not turn to chapter 10 where the Proverbs start one by one and just pick one a day to chew on? Get wisdom. Funnily enough, it's the one thing that can get squeezed out. Let's take this God-given opportunity for a real reset on Bible reading and prayer, an opportunity to get perspective on life. In fact, even if you're not a believer and you're tuning in, I'm thrilled you are, you're really welcome. Even if you're not a believer, this would be a great time to, to actually read through one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus Christ. Just see firsthand for yourself what all the fuss is about. Do you know, Jesus described himself as someone with wisdom greater than Solomon. And millions of readers since have agreed when they saw his words for themselves. Jesus Christ actually is the ultimate treasure trove of wisdom. He has words to guide us in life and eternity. Surely it's worth having a look at him. Or I guess we could fritter the time away on yet another box set. Point one is that whatever you get in life, get wisdom. But just before we dive into point two, I just want to tell you a quick true story about the time when I was a, a Christian university student. And actually, I got really excited about point one. I, I got excited about the book of Proverbs this promise that it could make me wise. Um, so what I did is I, I plastered my walls with as many kind of A4 printouts of Proverbs, the ones I, I thought I particularly needed to hear and I, I needed to chew on. And you know what? When, when I kind of look back now on that, on that odd experiment, um, I actually have three reflections. Firstly, man, my room must have looked awful. Like, I'm, I'm already quite messy, especially then, and it was a kind of interior decorating monstrosity. But secondly, that despite the, the kind of ink costs and printing faff, secondly, it was really good seeing those words regularly as reminders. I'd probably do even more if I did it now. But actually, my third reflection, and most sober one, is to think, if only I'd lived out those proverbs consistently at that time of my life. 
If only I'd actually practiced what I printed. You see, looking back now with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, I can see very clearly ways in which I acted like a fool back then. I can see how many foolish steps I took, how many detours and paths through the root-strewn woods, how much tripping and stumbling and causing hurt to myself and to others, far more than just grazed knees. All of which brings us to our second point. You see, it's one thing to get wisdom, to hear God's words of wisdom, even to print them out and stick them to your walls. It's a whole other thing to actually keep wisdom, to keep it, that is to live it out in everything we do and say. So this is our second point. Listen up. Whatever you do in life, keep wisdom. That wisdom is there in verse 13. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she's your life. Again, that's the same motivation. Uh, God's words of wisdom are the path to life. It's there in 13, it's there in 22, 23. Wisdom is your route to life. And notice verses 11 and 12. This is the wisdom that can stop us tripping up. Verse 11, I've taught you the ways of wisdom, led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Get wisdom and it will help you not stumble into disaster if you keep it. That is, whatever you do in life, keep wisdom. What does it mean, though, to keep wisdom? Let me just say, if you've started drifting mentally or if, you've, if you're checking your online news feed or social media or something, just come back for a moment because this is actually the most important contribution of Proverbs 4. This is the unique bit in this book. The way we keep wisdom is by actually walking by it in daily choices. The way you keep wisdom is by keeping in step with it in what you choose to do. See, it's no good just hearing the words, put on some trousers, Grace, if you ignore it completely and pull on the shorts. It's no good plastering proverbs on the wall if you ignore what they say. It's no good carrying a map if when you hit the fork in the road, you don't listen to it. As Jesus warned in that Matthew passage, it's no good hearing his words and not doing them. To do that would be to build house on sand rather than building our lives on his words as a rock, a rock that can withstand the storms. The point here is we need to walk the walk, not just hear the talk. And again, if you are just listening in as, a, as someone who's not a believer tonight, if you're curious about what Christians do, firstly, I do, I do want to say I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening in. But secondly, I, it is worth knowing the Bible's wisdom, it's, it's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a philosophy or a set of ideas to subscribe to. No, it is a way of life as we learn to lean on the Lord, as we trust in him rather than our own ideas, as we trust in Jesus, his death, his resurrection in our place. Jay last week had a lovely image of, of needing to lean into a harness when you're abseiling. Let him take our weight personally. If you are a Christian believer, the rest of the passage is going to give us some very practical instructions about how to do that, what it means to actually walk out 
God's wisdom in daily choices. And amazingly, though this was written thousands of years before COVID-19 was ever named, these areas are as sharply relevant to our lives under lockdown as they were back then. So then, let's have a look. Verses 13 to 19, firstly. Avoid stepping into wicked ways. You keep in step with God's wisdom by avoiding taking one footstep down the wicked path. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. As we go on through the rest of the book, we'll, we'll see a lot more of what this involves. Uh, next chapter, we'll consider adultery, sexual temptation. The previous chapters have covered the thrill of violence or corrupt gain. And while we might not be tempted to kind of criminal activity, we do actually in lockdown have a lot of daily choices about what we get involved with, especially online. Proverbs 4 wants us to, to warn us not, not even to dabble with evil. Don't even put a couple of steps down the path just to see what it's like or just to experiment or well, it's okay if I'm not going the whole hog. No, move on by, pass by, don't set a foot down there. Why such a strong warning? Well, because this path, this detour, in all its various offerings, rapidly becomes addictive. Did you notice that in verse 15? Sorry, verse 16. They cannot sleep unless they've done wrong. They're robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. There's a kind of strange, upside-down moral compass going on here. These folk, they, they started heading down this path, and before long, they don't know which way is up. They're God-given consciences. They've, they've become so seared that, that the polarities are all reversed. So rather than, rather than being sleepless because of a troubled conscience... Well, they're sleepless until they've done something wrong, till they've taken advantage of someone. It's like evil has become addictive to them. In fact, verse 17, that next hit of wrongdoing or violence, it's become what sustains them. It's their food, their drink. Now, perhaps some of us will find it hard to identify with that picture, but others will know exactly what it's like to be trapped, locked in patterns of ungodly behavior. And it is time to stop, to turn around, to not keep stepping down that road. Whatever it is, seek some help. Get wisdom. Talk to someone. Because verse 18, there is an alternative path. There is a path that's illuminated by God's wisdom, a route that, that doesn't go down the shortcut to sin. And it's a path, it's beautiful, look, uh, a path of greater illumination, of brightness and, and righteousness, of kind of God's purity and perfection, just throws the reality of a moral universe into sharper and sharper clarity. Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Let me just say, this is a genuine Christian experience. Believers who are growing, who are keeping in step with God's wisdom, with God the Holy Spirit, discover that suddenly the lights are turning on more and more. It's one of the startling things about getting to know Jesus better. 
Suddenly, things we thought were of no consequence or morally neutral a year ago or a decade ago, suddenly we, we see from the stark light of Christ, actually, that's not all right. That, that's not what humans are made to be. Attitude after attitude, action after action, from pride and envy to lust and lies, suddenly it's revealed by this stark light of God's character not to be right. Whereas notice on the alternative path, verse 19, as we don those shorts and run recklessly into the root-strewn woods, well, pretty soon, the increasing darkness starts to cloud our moral judgments. Soon enough, we barely notice what we're stumbling into anymore. That's so much the case that when someone first becomes a Christian, there can be this real shock at themselves when they look back on how they acted or spoke or thought before Jesus grabbed hold of them. I was chatting actually recently to someone who became a Christian here in the last few years, and they said to me, unprompted, I never realized how much I was in the dark. I was acting with a, with a pride, with a selfishness, that I couldn't even see was wrong. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So then, how do you avoid it? We need to avoid it. The risks of falling into that downward spiral away from God's wisdom are real. How in practice do you actually avoid it? Do you keep wisdom? Well, verses 20 to 27, by watching what we're doing with our body parts. These last verses from 21 onwards, they kind of work our way around our being to encourage us to take God's wisdom seriously at each level of who we are, each aspect of our walk, our lives. We don't have ages left to, to go through them in huge detail. As we read on in Proverbs, you will see each of these areas repeatedly being addressed. Um, it'd be worth talking about. It's the question I've got for our breakout groups. How could I be at risk of wandering from God's wisdom right now? Great thing to discuss afterwards, um, whether in Zoom or with small groups or with a friend or those you live with. But briefly, let's just run through those areas. Firstly, the heart. The heart here is referring to the very center of our being. It's not just our feelings or our emotions. It's the kind of center of everything, how we think, feel, desire, will. And the key thing to notice is that our hearts need to be connected to what's coming into our ears and our eyes. God's words, verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart. Verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Watch your heart, take it to heart. Make sure God's words of wisdom, they don't just float in the air, kind of hang there to, to, to just disappear, but get taken right to heart. Practically, I'm, I think it means... Not, not just scanning a few verses and immediately forgetting them, but at least we ticked the box of some devotional time. I know that's a risk for me. It might mean not just listening to a sermon, it going in one ear and out the other. Or if you're super keen um, and doing the kind of Christian equivalent of YouTube binge watching, where you kind of watch 10 live streams in a day just to see what other people do, it might be taking some time to reflect and pray one of those messages chewing deeply on something God says. One person this week told me they'd started memorizing scripture during lockdown. That's a great thing to do. They started with one psalm to learn. 
Great way to slow down and internalize God's truth. That's the heart, but it doesn't stop at the heart. Verse 24, we also need to watch our speech. Striking how often the Bible connects living by God's wisdom with guarding our tongues. Jesus says that. The book of James says that. Seems that the tongue is often the first thing to go astray. Lots of ways the hardest thing to control and yet the most powerful thing to drag us in the wrong direction. If we stop speaking the truth, if we start twisting words, crafting lies, half-truths, well, pretty, much, pretty soon the feet will follow off the straight and narrow path. Now, I know well from personal experience that under the current household pressures that some of us are facing, some of the work pressures we're facing, guarding our tongues is a lot easier said than done. But Jesus himself warned It's a serious thing when we use our tongues to attack or to insult others. We need to watch our speech. Likewise, verse 25, watch our eyes, eyes straight forward, dead ahead. So don't be like my daughter Grace. One of the reasons it went so badly was she was actually looking backwards while she ran down the path. She didn't spot the looming root. She face-planted. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't look across the fence whether it's covetousness or lust or greed or envy, keep our eyes on God's path of wisdom. I don't need to point out that guarding our eyes could hardly be more relevant at the moment, could it? Especially with what we're looking at on our screens. Most of us are spending longer than we ever have looking at computers and phones. And those computers and phones are connected to the biggest repository of wonderful information and horrible evils that has ever been compiled in human history. Just a click away in either direction. Sometimes, sadly, not even a click if an unhelpful advert flashes up on the banner ads. Watch your eyes. As Jesus himself put, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in in his heart. Finally, watch your feet. 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Think about where you're walking. Think about the path I'm choosing to walk on each day. Ponder it. Weigh up our life choices in light of God's wisdom. And as Jesus himself said, stick to the narrow path that leads to life. So don't just get wisdom. And just hear it. Keep wisdom, that is, live it in daily choices. Build our lives upon the rock of Jesus' wisdom. But just before we close, I know our time is out, but just before we close, I want to ask, how does all that leave you feeling? Of course, it's a hugely profound point that wisdom is not just something we need to hear, but something we need to do. And that's a pretty forensic and exacting kind of whole body checkup, a spiritual medical. But who of us can honestly say that every aspect of our hearts, speech, eyes, feet, have all been keeping in step with God's spirit, with God's wisdom this week? Especially in the sparkling light of Jesus Christ, the the greater son of David, the wiser king than Solomon, You know what my reaction is? Prone to wander. Lord, 
I feel it. I don't perfectly practice what I preach or what I print on the walls. Here's the thing, though. Nor did Solomon. Nor did David. In fact, nor has anyone. Nobody keeps exactly on the straight path except for one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who never put a foot wrong. The man who never stumbled in word or deed. The man whose eyes were always on pleasing his Father in heaven. His heart was always there. And so the greater wisdom that Jesus brought wasn't just a sharper revelation of God's standards. but was the truth that he would pay for where we'd stumbled. Jesus, the truly wise king, looks us in the eyes and says, I paid for that. Let me pick you up, dust you down, pay the price, put you on the path again, and fill you with my spirit for a fresh start tomorrow morning. That's the extraordinary news, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's well worth a look. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that his words are a treasure trove of wisdom and give hope for us, those who've wandered. In Jesus' name, amen.